Welcome back to What Do You Want to Watch, the show hosted by myself, Nathan English, and David Dirks. And we are a week away from the 2023 edition of the Academy Awards, and we are going to be ranking the movies in the race for the most important title at the show, what goes on last, except for that one year when they put Best Actor last because they thought Chadwick Boseman was going to get the Best Actor Award posthumously, and then it actually didn't go to Chadwick Boseman. It it was just a little little awkward because it went to Anthony yeah. Hopkins for the father and then the telecast kind of ended. And So hopefully nothing like that happens this time. And hopefully nobody gets <laughs> uh, slapped in the face for a joke about a Demi Moore movie um, from like 1994. So all those things, but it, anything can happen. Um, so we're going to be talking about all 10 nominees. David and I just finished up watching all of these movies. We're going we're gonna to give quick reviews of them. We're going to rank the Best Picture nominees. Then we're going to make some predictions. So stick around. All right, David. We have seen every single one of the movies nominated for Best Picture. You and I both did some catching up this past week. I think we each had the same three to watch, correct? Uh, Women Talking, uh, Triangle of Sadness, and The Fablemans were the ones we hadn't seen. Mostly Correct. because of either streaming availability or theater availability. David, how many in this on this list did you watch in theaters? Um, one, two, uh, Top Gun and Avatar. Yep. Okay. Uh, I have one, two, three, four, four. Uh, the two that you listed and Tar and everything everywhere all at once. Um, yeah. are there any, just before we dive in, are there any that you wish you would have saw in theaters that you think that theater experience really would have helped, um, how you viewed the film? Honestly, I think all quiet would have been pretty, pretty incredible on, in, on the big screen, especially with the music and, and just the visuals of seeing that on the big screen. I think that'd have been really cool. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think weirdly enough, a movie that I don't really love, but I probably would have enjoyed more with Elvis. I think maybe mm-hmm. the performances would have been better had I watched yeah. that, um, you know, on a big screen and instead of at home. I'm sure that would have helped. Although yeah. there's problems with with Elvis that a, the theater ticket wouldn't solve. All right, so I talked about it in the intro. Um, we got ten nominees this year. David and I are going to go through them in alphabetical order. First, we're just going to give our quick little reviews, talk about them, and then we are going to each rank them based on personal preference. The end, we'll do some predictions about the best picture race. And if we have time, we'll talk about the uh, wider awards that are available. So let's start. And you've already mentioned this, All Quiet on the Western Front, a, another adaptation of the very famous novel. Um, this was nominated uh, for best picture. It is a German film. It is a straight to Netflix release, which is how most people saw it. Ironically, I think... You know, normally the the international features are less seen. However, I would imagine this one is probably among the most seen just because of its availability, right? Day one on Netflix, a lot yeah. of people have been able to check this out. Have you had know, conversations with other people in your life that have seen this movie? I have, and it's, well, it, it may be kind of proving what the point you just made. Maybe the opposition of, like, I saw... A couple people were like, yeah, I saw that. I just haven't gotten to it yet. And I was like, you need to. It's really, really good. It's worth a watch. So it was like, Mm. yeah, I saw it. I haven't seen it, though. So maybe Mm. that is um, 
you know, because I mean, I know the top ten of Netflix really means as much as I don't know. Nothing broke. Nothing. A, yeah, there you go. Exactly. A, a wet sock with a hole in it. But um, it was in the. It was at least number one for a couple of weeks, I think. So like, it, people mm-hmm. saw it for sure. So I think even mm-hmm. just it, simply going to Netflix helped its um, just views in that in that light. Now there, with with all Best Picture uh, awards and nominees, there's there's always a barrier to entry for some of the films. You got you have crowd pleasing ones. We're going to talk about later. Avatar, uh, Top Gun, Maverick, among them. Even Everything Everywhere All at Once, I would say, are movies that I think are really easy to get into. Um, movies that you'll finish feeling good even if there is an emotional journey you'll kind of finish on a high note i'll quiet on the western front is not that it's kind of a daunting you know two and a half plus hour war epic um it is not in english and it's not it's not happy-go-lucky spoiler alert it's about world war one a war in which millions of people died for no reason uh, really um they which is very clear in the movie I know we were both super high on this when it came out. David, how are you feeling about All Quiet on the Western Front now that you're, I would imagine, what, two two months out from having seen it? Three, maybe? I, um, I initially gave it a four and a half out of five, and that's honestly held there for me. I really, really just feel very highly on that movie. Just um, the visuals, the music, the, the whole aspect of it. I, I really enjoyed that as much as you can enjoy, obviously a movie like this mm-hmm. um it, it's held there for me I, I really i really liked it and it's honestly one you know we talk about rewatchability like i want to rewatch this to see like one is this as highly is it do i like it as much as i did initially but a two like i don't know i want to see it again just because of it it looks so good and the music was so good so that's kind of where i'm mm-hmm. sitting right now when we talked about it at first on this um podcast we talked about the score which i think you you just mentioned again is maybe the strongest point of the film which sounds like it that that means the film's not very good i I promise it is just the the subtle like the he uses it's hard to even describe what the composer's doing and i'm not a music person david is but the fact that he like kind of lulls you into complacency with the ticking sounds and and the classic like strings uh, of a film score and then just Bomp, it just hits you with the electronic noises very loudly. Mm-hmm. It would feel out of place in a lot of movies, but this one, it, it feels really, really good. The cinematography is, I think, the strongest part of the film for me. Um, beautifully shot, as many war movies are. This isn't 1917, you know, it's not all one shots, but there are some very long cuts. There's extended takes. Um, there's some horrific violence that is rendered, you know, beautifully, but also horrifyingly. Um mm. Yeah, this is this is a movie that I ranked at a four and a half when I first saw it. I, I've dropped that down to a four since recency bias probably hit me there, but very, very solid film. Um one that's not really in contention, I don't think. It it's getting a lot of y- love from the Europeans in the Academy. Uh it won the BAFTAs, which the BAFTAs pretty much will always select the European film over any American film. So that's not surprising. Um, and there is one other European film in contention, but all quiet on the Western front, I think really high for both of us. David, is yeah. there anything else you want to add before we move on to the next movie? No, I mean, other than we talked about the pros, I'd say the cons, maybe the pace, I guess maybe at, at some parts it could feel kind of maybe slow. Mm-hmm. Maybe you kind of feel the vibe of like checking your phone. Um, 
you're like, no, I got to finish, you know? And I, I wouldn't say that that isn't the whole movie at all, but there, I, I think if I'm remembering correctly, there were a couple parts. I was like, all right, you know, give me the sunset mm-hmm. or give me the battlefield again or something. And then the only thing is like the no theater experience. I think that kind of hurts it really. Um, right. I think people value that. And I think that helps a movie a lot when you can see it on the big screen. So really right. the only couple downers I would put on this movie were, were those, those couple things. This movie really needs good sound, I would I would say, mm-hmm. um, to to be as effective as it can. So yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, the only other thing I would add to that, um, I again really like this movie overall, but the ending was a little too perfect for me, um, which I don't mm-hmm. want to spoil it for people that haven't seen it. But the ending was a little too like really on the nose. You know, we've we've been talking about the the same theme kind of the futility of war throughout the whole thing. And the ending really hits you. And at first I was like, wow, how effective. And then I thought back and I was like, that was a little like, let's make sure the audience gets it by just really ramming it home right at the end. So mm. I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. So literally, literally ramming it home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> David's doing his darn just to spoil it without spoiling it. <laughs> well, check All Quiet on the Western Front out if you have not seen it though. Highly encouraging. Actually, I would encourage you to watch all these movies, especially if you're planning on viewing the Oscars telecast, because it's way more fun when you're actually invested rather than you're just seeing like, oh, I've heard of that movie. Hey, yeah. hey, they won. That's so good. All right. Up next, Avatar, The Way of Water, the audacious sequel from Big Jim James Cameron that took Little. 13 years to make. And at one point in this film, a uh, whale that is supremely intelligent hits a suicide dive on an aircraft carrier yes sir this movie rocks this is some of the most fun i've had at the movies with the exception of one other movie that we're going to talk about later david avatar the way of water is it better than the first one i think so i think it is uh i don't think it's by a lot i think i mean it helps when what how long did he work on this like when did you start this Yeah. yeah I mean, it helps. I think, I think it is better. It's tough to like beat that like opening shock factor of like this world is crazy and I've never seen this before. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But man, visually, and then introdu- introduce introducing us to like the water people and like, kind of like a whole another like aspect of this planet underwater side of it. Like, I think it is better. It was, I, I really liked it. Really, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I was going into this film expecting beautiful visuals, right? It's James Cameron. He gives us that every time. This movie is taking forever. And I was still blown away. Like the underwater Mm -hmm. sequences, especially, which are almost always terrible in every movie you've ever seen. There's a reason they don't do extended underwater shots in any movie because it's so hard to do. Yeah. They they were just gorgeous. Um, Yeah, they were. And it's clear that James Cameron has decided that while the Sully family is the, the main character's in the story and in plot, the main character of these films is Pandora, the world itself. Mm. And he does, you can just tell the amount of care that he has for making that world feel real. Some of the yep. story stuff is, is pretty basic guys. This is movie is not going to blow you away plot wise. You know where it's going exactly when it happens. Um, yeah. And the action set pieces though, it's James Cameron. So they're fantastic. But this this world just feels very lived in. For me, it it greatly outshines the first one. Um, I think that the acting is better, uh, the performances are better, and the visuals are stunning. Um, James Cameron proved he's not a one trick pony with this. 
uh, with mm. Avatar. I, I yeah. think, I mean, at, right now, I don't know what latest box office counts are, um, but I would imagine it's it's north of 2.2 billion at this point, I think. Um, and- 2.281 billion, which yeah, I believe so- third... It is now highest. It is now third most all time behind the original Avatar and Avengers Endgame. Um, so there was a lot of like, is this going to flop um, energy coming out? Which, you know, their, their reported costs sometimes were break even point. This movie needs to make $2 billion just to break even, which isn't actually true. The both of both Avatar 2 and 3 combined need to make $2 billion to break even. But I, I think we all saw, right? Like, he still got it. Um, mm-hmm. This movie's great. I think this is a movie the Academy just, quite frankly, had to put on the best like a, It's list. like a fan vote, almost. You, you know what I mean? Yes. Um, a movie that is this well-received by audiences and makes $2 billion and has critical reception, it needs to be there, which... The original Avatar was also um, competing for Best Picture, was actually one of the front runners the year that it was nominated, ended up losing to The Hurt Locker, which is James Cameron's ex-wife. Uh, Ooh, that has to Bigelow. hurt. Yeah, that had to hurt everybody. Um, at the like time, the was Locker, it ex-wife so. or looking, or like now it is? No, at the time, at the time, yeah, yeah, so. She won um, that whole thing. Also, just completely off topic, Catherine Bigelow, how about you make some more movies? Um, cause yours are great. So if you yeah, Hurt Locker is really good. I just recently watched that. Hurt Locker is great. Zero Dark Thirty is great. Uh, I just mm. watched her movie, a weird science fiction movie from the nineties called Strange Days. Uh, mm. That movie's fantastic. Uh, rest in peace, Tom Sizemore, who's an important part of that movie. He just passed away. Yeah. Recently. Um, anyway, Avatar: The Way of Water. David, is there anything else you have to say? I mean, we talked about this movie at length, and yeah. Uh, like we said things visuals really good story good i think cons acting at times um yeah jake's a little tough at points and so are the kids yeah and even um the antagonist isn't really that great of an actor and you know james cameron hides kind of got he's kind of got one gear what's his name uh stephen lang right yeah yeah. yeah, Cameron hides it well, but he's not that great of an actor, really. You got that in the first movie. It was really kind of cheesy of, you know. Yeah, I think the villain is just over the top one speed. Although we do see, you know, he gets humanized in this movie by his, his child um, that he mm-hmm. left on Pandora. But I would say the weakest part for me was that that child. Spider was tough. Mm-hmm. Like when I went, I so I saw this movie twice in theaters in 3D both times. Uh, no regrets. I spent, Come on, that that cost me forty dollars combined. No, absolutely no Jeez. regrets at all. Um, and Spider was like he he was bad the first time, and the second time I was like, oh, like that. This is going to like in two years we're gonna be like, what the heck is this? Like mm-hmm. ah, why? He's just so bad. All of his scenes are awkward. Um, it doesn't really make sense. It feels like he. James Cameron was like, we just need a human. We actually need, because all the antagonists are also, you know, Navi in this movie. They're, they're also avatars. Mm-hmm. So there's no, there's no like humans really. Also now, it's with him, you get a list. size comparison too of how big the avatar people are. Right, you, you know? get to put everything into scale. So that, that felt like that's why his character was there. I didn't love it, but still. Do, 
in this is going to sound very counterintuitive. We the visuals were stunning, but is that also a con in a sense of like it's not a Marvel CGI movie, but like we know that all this isn't real. Does that hurt it in a sense, or do you think the visuals were good enough that you're that as you know in your mind you're like no it's okay. I see what you're saying, where it's it could have. It's like, not like banshees, where like, bro, they're literally in right. Ireland. It, you know, it like could have this. like the Thor love and thunder problem, where you're like, yeah, this is a fake world. But I think that, especially because the underwater sequences for me were so real and lifelike, mm-hmm. that despite all the characters being CG, I never felt pulled out. There wasn't a moment of the movie where I felt pulled out of the movie. Where that happens in Marvel movies. Think mm-hmm. of Wakanda Forever at the end, the in battle on the ship. Some of the CG was so bad that I was just pulled out of the movie and thinking, Ugh, that looks bad. And yeah. that never crossed my mind during Avatar. Okay. I don't I, I don't remember if it is nominated for Best Cinematography or not. It is nominated for Best Visual Effects. Um, you could put your house down on that. Avatar Avatar 2 is is winning uh, visual effects. Yeah, I don't think it's, bet it's all not your money nominated on that for one. cinematography. So that's not really a, a question. Although, you know, sometimes they don't just take into account visuals. It's also shot composition and other stuff like that. So, yeah, okay. Um, but I, I see what you're saying, but for me, no, that that was not a barrier. For me, do you think – I think this would be more – I think All Quiet has a better chance of winning Best Picture than this one. I think simply they put this in just because of its money and popularity. I would agree with you. Um, there hasn't really been any any wins for Avatar The Way of Water aside from visual effects wins at, at previous award shows. All Quiet has got some buzz from you know, some Best Picture at – at smaller award shows. So yeah, I think you are correct um, that All Quiet would have a better chance. It's also just one, considered a more prestigious film and two, Avatar The Way of Water has the sequel problem mm-hmm. in that yeah. it has planned sequels in the future. So the Academy famously did this with Lord of the Rings where they would they were making it clear they weren't going to recognize Lord of the Rings until the last movie because they knew they were just banking on the last movie being good, which I disagree with that strategy. Yeah. But that's also what we probably think happened with Dune as well, where they're not going to award Avatar 2 because they know Avatar 5 is coming. And if Avatar 5 is half as good as Avatar 2, then they're just going to keep all of the awards on Avatar 5. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. All right. Uh, as David takes a drink of water, we will move on from the hmm. way of water to the Banshees of Inishirin, uh directed by Martin McDonough, starring Colin Farrell um, and a donkey um, and a very, very, very pissed off Brennan Gleason um, in this film. David, we I wrote a joke review about the Banshees of Inishirin just being about our friendship and like 30 or 40 years. Um, how accurate do you you feel that it, assessment is? And also, what did you think of this film? It depends on who's who. Like, am I the donkey? Am I the Brandon Gleason? Am I Colin Farrell? Oh, in your heart, you're Barry? always the donkey. However, we know that I, you are Colin Farrell and I am Brandon Gleason because I'm grumpy and just a rude person in general, and you're not. So... You know what helps us though? We don't like we hardly see each other. So I feel like if we were like if like sophomores in college and this came out and you're like how likely senior year, like after three more years of us living together, like do you think this is likely to happen? I feel like it's more likely then than it is now, just because we don't yeah, like, you're ever right. see we don't, each other. We don't meet at like four thirty or whatever to go get a drink every day. If we yeah. did, then I think this would probably accelerate that timeline. 
So first semester it, senior year, I just pull up like, "What's up, Nathan?" You're like, "Yeah, I never want to talk to you again." Yeah, get out, it's please. Like, Wait, um, and that definitely didn't happen, guys, for sure. No. Uh, so this is just a nursing home future for us. We're gonna get placed Come in on. the same nursing home, and then this is just you're gonna be like, "Hey, let's meet at the shuffleboard court um, <laughs> at two every day." And I'm gonna be like, "I have to focus. All right, I have to write a blog, David, about why people disrespected Tar in 2022. <laughs> I have to write that right now. Uh, My art is more important. It's gonna live on after we die, David." Um, anyway, that. how did you feel about this movie? I loved it. Um, I think I compared what I just made, the point I just made to this because it's like, I don't know what, I don't know what it is, but it's very satisfying watching a movie and knowing like 100% of this was shot on site. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, there's no tricks, you know, there's no, you know, screen behind you. Like, man, this is like flat out in Ireland, just two guys hanging out. And that's really satisfying to see. It's like, it's almost like less work for you. I feel like it's less you have to like process and worry about it. Very satisfying for me. And then I think number two, if not number one, the leading performances were absolutely just stellar. Um, Colin Farrell, incredible. Brandon Gleason, incredible. Carrie Condon, Barry Keegan. How do you say his last name? I don't know because I keep hearing people pronounce it different ways. I've heard Keegan, Keoghan. Um, I think Keegan's fine. I'd go with okay. it. He's not listening to the podcast. So That's okay, true. But those right. four, and no one else was bad, but those four specifically were just very, very, very good. Um, again, it makes it easy to enjoy a movie when like everybody getting screen time is just knocking out of the park. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, for this movie, that was me. I was just like relaxed. Like It was a vibe watching this movie, so... Mm-hmm. So for those of you who are listening to us talk about this movie for four minutes or are confused why David and I keep referencing each other um, in this, uh, this is about two f- lifelong friends who at one day, one of them just decides that he wants to end the friendship um, and doesn't really explain why, just says he doesn't really want to do it anymore. And then the story kind of kicks off from there. It's set on the West Coast of Ireland during a- an Irish Civil War uh, more than 100 years ago. Like David already said, the the natural vistas in this film are beautiful. Um, one of the most striking parts of the movie. This movie really makes you run the gamut of emotions. Um, some of some of the funniest lines in in a film this year were in the Banshees of Inisherin. <laughs> also, some of the saddest moments in a film this year were in the Banshees of Inisherin. Yeah. Um, so I. I think this has a good chance. I would not be upset if this kind of had a dark horse run and and won Best Picture. It's kind of a small movie. You know, as you mentioned, the four actors are the only ones who get really significant screen time at all. Most of this movie is obviously conversations. It's not it's not action heavy. Um, it's very effective. It's a very moving mm-hmm. film. And, and one I think that the most likely Oscar to come from it is not... Uh, best picture it's actually best actor uh mm. colin farrell uh, yeah i was gonna bring that up performance yeah. is kind of the village um nice guy simpleton almost um who doesn't really understand why a person would just be mean all of a sudden he's he's mm. almost too innocent to understand what his friend's doing and the actions that he's taking it's very yeah. effective it's very yeah. effective. yeah i was gonna mention that like i think it's between him and austin butler and elvis i, I think it's a 
runaway race. No offense, Brandon Fraser. I think just these these two guys and specifically Colin mm-hmm. really just did in a role what you want what he he needed to do for this film and and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, really mm-hmm. really good movie. Um, a couple we've been kind of doing pros and cons. I think really the only con I have is it's just the slowest paced movie you'll watch this year. It's a slow very burn, yeah. slow burn. Um, so even if you like that kind of movie, like it's one you gotta like be focused. Like okay, I'm gonna devote time to watch this. Um, because at times it can get, maybe if you get distracted, if you're not paying attention, it can get kind of, you know, like that. So that is something to be mm-hmm. aware of. Mm-hmm. This movie builds you to the emotional beats. It doesn't necessarily start off with them. Um, there are some, you know, over the top yelling scenes and, and, and stuff that you often see in an Oscar nominated dialogue, heavy movie, but they're not frequent, right? This, this movie is, is really really trying to build you to these these breaking points between these two men and it does so wonderfully but i would i would say that in every scene there is pretty much going to be a line that's going to like hit you in the chest and make you sad and also one that you're going to laugh at hmm. uh, and the, it's a black comedy as well so there are a lot of these a lot of these things are darkly funny it's it's not like the here's a fart joke it's yeah. It's some observations about life that are funny and then will make you a little sad afterwards. But The Banshees yeah. of Inisherin is one of the most effective movies this this year in, in terms of really hitting it, the director hitting at the emotions he's trying to. So Absolutely. I really enjoyed it. Um, and now to a movie I did not enjoy. David, you like this a lot more than I did, so I'm going to let you do probably the bulk of the talking. Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Um, take it away. How'd you feel about it? Um, initially I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I, I, there's not much explaining, you know, as far as the summary synopsis of the movie, it's, it's about the life of Elvis, um, right. As seen kind of through the lens of his relationship with his manager, Colonel Tom Parker. Um, this movie was in development for quite a while. I believe even before, right as before COVID started, there, uh, kind of working on this movie obviously that pushed it back and uh, i believe it almost didn't happen actually um but uh boz and austin butler stuck with it and they they got through it but yeah i really enjoyed it i think i think austin could very well win uh best actor i think he did a very very good job i think maybe even the most like effective part of the movie for me was the end where like he started playing like elvis's like iconic last performance and like it started switching back and forth as he was Elvis was performing the song, and like if you like look down at your phone and look back up, you almost um, you almost don't know like, wait, was that Austin Butler? Or is this actually the Elvis press? So like the way they're able to match, the way he was able to match his mantras and his sing his voices, his voice, his not only singing but speaking voice as well. Just like Austin Butler was this movie, um, and. Of course, Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks. Tom, he, he did a he did a good job. But I, yeah. I I was definitely higher on this than you were. I I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, really, I gave it a three and a half, so a seven. Like, it's not like I'm giving it a perfect five, right? But obviously, um, but no, no, I enjoyed it. It was very long. I think that could be that could be one of the cons. And, two hours and forty something minutes. I'm pretty sure. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that could be a con. Um, but. Yeah, Austin Butler's performance alone, I think, deserves quite a bit of praise. Mm-hmm. I, I will, 
I will certainly agree with that. I think Austin Butler is by far the best part of this film. Um, and the performances are good. Like, like you touched on at the end um, with, you know, Elvis's last performance. I'd say every single one of the performances in this movie are good. Um, yeah. Clearly with the technology that we have now, just music biopics, um, there's always going to be just these rapturous um, live concerts that you're just going to be enthralled with no matter what. I'm not a person who really cares for the music of Elvis. I would say that most of the people in our age demographic don't. Mm. I mean, it's something we hear reference, but I don't think it's anything that any of us listen to regularly, maybe unless yeah. it's around Christmas time and you're listening to the innumerable amount of Christmas songs Elvis has, which is mentioned in this film. Mm -hmm. I, 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 that's, that's about where my praise for this film ends. Um, yeah. I'll, I want to hear like what specifically, again. like what specifically didn't hit home with you for this movie. I'm curious. All right. First, um, in contrary to what you said, I think Tom Hanks is horrible in this movie. I think that the accent is bad. I think it's not all his fault because I don't understand the point of the character. I know Colonel Tom Parker is a real person, but why are we telling the story of Elvis through the lens of a person who we're supposed to hate? Um, it kind of makes me not understand. Like, I just don't understand why the, the story is through that lens. Second, Baz Luhrmann is famous for doing too much. In the first, in the opening sequence of this movie, the opening sequence, the camera pans and cuts and flips like 45 times before you even just get to a normal shot. What are you doing, dude? Calm down. Like, <laughs> you don't have to do this, okay? This movie is nominated for Best Cinematography because Baz Luhrmann was like, I'm just going to, the camera is never still. There's never a moment where you're resting, which normally sounds like that's a great thing. It means you're always involved. No, no, it's not. It's not always a great thing. Sometimes I would like to stop. I don't want to be nauseous. <laughs> Third, and this is this is common with biopics. I don't need movies to be straight up factual. We know no pretty much no movie aside from a actual documentary is is without embellishment, right? But we just skirt over the interesting stuff in Elvis's life like it's nothing. Like he just has a conversation with some of the black musicians where he knows, and they're like, Yeah, Elvis, take my stuff, make it famous. Huh? Are we oh. sure? Are we sure that's how that happened? Because I don't think that's how that happened. I'm I'm quite certain it's not. And we Got have you. to do this thing where we we turn Elvis into this sort of civil rights figure almost that that he's reacting to the death of martin luther king and the death of robert kennedy and and segregation and racism in ways that we know that elvis didn't really do again i know that these aren't going to be accurate i just think that the movie is trying to make us more comfortable with a artist who it's widely known took the work that black artists were doing and was able to make it famous because he was white. I mean, the movie directly references that whenever Tom Parker discovers him and everybody's sitting around listening to Elvis sing. And then the reason Tom Parker decides to actually go and talk to this guy is because some kid says he's white. And it's like, he's white. So the movie tries to confront it in some parts, but doesn't in others. And lastly, I, I kind of hinted at it already, but we, we like speed through certain parts of Elvis's life. Like, we we don't it feels like we don't ever get peak elvis 
right? Like we don't mm-hmm. ever really get a lot of the good years because we go right from, you know, he's young, he gets discovered, he starts kind of taking off. And then all of a sudden he's got Graceland, but they don't actually show us him buying Graceland, which that's one of the most iconic just pieces of American history. That's like mm-hmm. a, a prime piece of Americana and, and we don't even talk about that. And then we go to Elvis in movies. And then Elvis doing the Christmas special and then Elvis live shows. Like where was the, he's the most famous guy on the planet or he gets sent away to, you know, he gets drafted to go into the military. The only sequence we see from that is whenever he is courting, um, what is she, 14? Whenever he's like 20, which the movie kind of just, you know, speed bumps past that too. Like, hey, (laughs) Teenage teenage bride, no biggie. It's okay because Elvis state was is it? nice. Um, well, <laughs> it was it wasn't the states. I think is why it, why it happened. But well, oh yeah. And I don't know if that's some of the family influence or or what. But I I think you're right. I think Austin Butler was great. I think the performances, the actual live performances, the concerts are very effective. It just told me the story of Elvis in in stuff that was almost the least interesting to me. Mm. see i got the vibe i know about elvis so i i thought they were trying to tell this through his manager's point of view and like it seemed to show the bulk of the movie was when he was struggling and like miserable not like when he was successful i got the vibe they're like showing like elvis was almost wronged and manipulated and hurt and he like is almost like the victim like they're like i mean it is hollywood so but that's kind of where i was like that's maybe this is why they have so much like why Colonel Tom Parker is so involved. It's like he was, mm-hmm. you know, Elvis at first, it's like, oh, Elvis is this druggie, you know, couldn't handle the fame and wasn't responsible with his money. But I almost got the vibe the, the movie was trying to portray like, no, Elvis was used and was almost a victim in all of this, you know? So mm-hmm. whether that was accurate or not, that's kind of the vibe I got. I would agree. I just think that was the wrong choice. I, I, that's mm-hmm. why I didn't yeah. enjoy the movie because the movie was so hell-bent on showing you Colonel Tom Parker is the the demon behind him. He's the puppeteer pulling the strings. There's Elvis is a good guy. Elvis wants to do good and he can't mm-hmm. because Colonel and you're Tom just Parker sad because you're seeing all this always and... there. Yeah. And, and then everything that happens to Tom Parker afterwards just gets explained in text after the end of the movie. Mm. I, yeah. I just didn't, I didn't, I guess I didn't like yeah. the framing device for this film. And then that is you're, you're in it for two hours and 40 minutes. Cause I yeah. don't like the way that they decided to tell the story and there's nothing I can do that it's just like that. So mm. this will not be at the top of my list. And if I'm going to spoil it right now, if this wins best picture, I'm not watching the Oscars in 2024. I really don't think there's a way it does. I, don't I really so don't. Either. I, 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 I don't, think, but I think this year's too salt. There are too many solid movies in this year's. I was just thinking like I, I haven't finished it, but I, I started The Artist today, 2011, Best Picture winner, and I was like, I wonder what else like it ran against. Like 2011 was a bad movie year. If Elvis was in this year, in 2011, maybe, you know? But like, I think this year is just too stacked for a, a movie like Elvis to win it. The, so The Artist, isn't that a silent film? That's the one yeah. that's like about it. Yeah, that's got to be. How's that? Is that a chore right now for you to try to watch? <laughs> yeah, kind of. I, I was... Oh, well, this is this is what I think about it. You'll know exactly how I feel. I was like, if this movie came out any other year, it would not have won Best Picture, and it probably wouldn't have won as many Oscars as it did. Right. Um, 
just because it was a bad movie. I mean, it's not a bad movie at all, but it's just like, is this the best picture of the year? You know? Yeah. So. Well, all I will say to counter that Elvis couldn't win is that Bohemian Rhapsody won. Well, is that 2019? Um, the 2019 Oscars, it came out in 2018. Got you. But Bohemian Rhapsody, I have almost the same exact problems with. Um, I still haven't that, seen that. The performances are to. great. Like the concert performances are great, but the story isn't good. I have no idea how Rami Malek won for for his performance of Freddie Mercury again. That just feels like, oh my God, it's Freddie Mercury. We all love Freddie Mercury. And this guy played him. Mm-hmm. Here's your gold statue. Do it to Anyway, uh, we spent a lot of time on this movie that I don't like and David kind of likes, but doesn't really like that much. And it, <laughs> let, let's move on to a movie we both really like and the movie that I think is going to win. And that's Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. The Daniels, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert's multiversal family drama action sci-fi black comedy superhero pixar did you say drama yeah yeah i had that in there uh every genre (laughs) everything everywhere all at once this this movie is i think so a piece of what our culture is right now in the jokes that it's trying to make. I think specifically like Rakakuni, um, the Ratatouille spoof about the rat or the raccoon that, you know, sits on top of people's heads and cooks, mm-hmm. but also is classic like Oscars bait almost because it is a story about an immigrant family that moves to the U S and then a mother and daughter kind of become estranged and have to work their way back. Um, except, you know, of course, normally the immigrant families that are portrayed in these movies are white because, well, at least the ones that are nominated uh, are white. So this like that the, is a change. Yeah. Um, I love this movie. I loved it the first time I saw it, uh, I when I saw it in theaters. I want to watch it again before the Academy Awards because I'm sure I will love it again. This is a movie that hasn't really faded in, in my – just in my rating – even though I'm now almost a year removed from having seen it, every time I think about something from the film, I think about it fondly. Mm-hmm. There has been a little bit of backlash to this. It got so popular that it, then it became popular to hate. I, I still love it. David, you saw this pretty recently, I, like within the last two months, I think. Yeah, let's see. Um, January 30th. So how did you feel about it? Uh, I loved it. Um, kind of the, the couple things we've been talking about maybe as a con for these movies has been pacing. I feel like the pacing of this movie was just incredible. It's so um, good, right? It was very, very, very good. And visually it was, I, I don't know. I'm, I don't know how they did some of this stuff visually. Um, I probably will never. And just the imagination of this film. I, I, I would have liked to have been an ant on the wall in that director's room of like the creation of this movie. Cause I don't know how they thought of some of this stuff. Um, but no, I really enjoyed it and agreed. I want to rewatch this. Um, so, yeah. Uh, the, the things we need to hit before we move on. First, Michelle Yeoh, who is one of the two frontrunners for Best Actress, really carries the movie. It, this movie is not in any way successful without a performance like hers. Mm-hmm. You know, she has to balance a lot of a lot of different things, but the most important thing she has to do is kind of 
reach these like really sorrowful depths and immediately respond with anger because of how upset and sad she is. That's like a, it's a key part of Evelyn Wong as a character. And it's something that Yoda does surprisingly well uh, to the point where I bounce back from like, you kind of hate this woman at the beginning of the movie and then you grow to love her throughout, but she still has moments where you're like, you're so frustrated by her Hmm. um, because she won't just fully give herself over to her family um, and kind of to love and compassion. The other one, Ki Hui Kwan, who is nominated for Best Supporting Actor and will win. I, I don't really think there's any debate in that. He famously was short round um, in the second Indiana Jones movie and then was out of acting for a while because he was just getting typecast, came back for this. It's kind of, aside from Brendan Fraser, the most feel-good story of this Oscars. I think he's going to get a standing ovation whenever he wins. Very excited for it. And two... Um, best supporting actress nominees, Stephanie Tsu and Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis feels like she's there because her name is Jamie Lee Curtis. She's good yeah. in this movie, but I, I don't think she's reaching the heights that Stephanie is. Uh, there's not really many holes I can poke in this. Uh, I, I, I like it better than pretty much every other movie this year with the exception of one. And there's I had no problems with anything that was hacked. I, I just, yeah, I really, really, truly love this film. After seeing the Fablemans, I feel like this three-way uh, race with actress in a leading role is really tight. I really feel like Kate Blanchett, Michelle Williams, and Michelle Yeoh are super, super tight in this race. Do you think, do you, I mean, do we know? I don't think Michelle Williams is as much. Um, I think she is definitely the third person in that category. But I, I... I have my pick who who I think should win. However, if either one of the top two wins, I will in no way be upset. Yeah. I, I, I think that I think this is kind of one of those I keep going back to sports comparisons because that's that's how my brain works. But this yeah. is a this is if we actually got like LeBron versus Kobe in the finals and that if either one wins, you're like, man, like yeah, that's that's great. Like, what a what a guy, what a what a yeah. performance, what a player, you know, what an actress. So, I would be very excited for for this race. I think this is probably the second most anticipated race outside of the best picture category is best actress between her, Michelle Yeoh and Kate Blanchett. And I I don't know. I really at this point don't know who's gonna win, but I'm very excited for that one. Yeah, me too. All right, speaking of The Fablemans and Michelle Williams, uh, that was a movie directed by Steven Spielberg, which is a a two-plus-hour film where Steven Spielberg tells us he's great, kind of. Uh, which and I was intrigued. Would be ridiculous with almost any other director, but Steven Spielberg is widely considered to be probably the best American filmmaker ever. So we're yeah. all like, yeah, I mean, fair enough. I, I caught myself, like, especially when they're filming the World War II movie, where I'm just thinking, like, I know Steven Spielberg actually thought of this stuff. He's just pretty much just transcribing exactly what he probably did when he was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Like, whenever they step on the boards to fling the dirt up behind them so to simulate an explosion and, the like, the blood packs that they burst on themselves, I was just thinking, like, God, this kid, like, more talent at 16 than I'll ever have. This is stupid. Like, it was so dumb. 
because he's so good. Like one of the reviews is like, oh, yeah, of course. I could have thought of that, you know. And I didn't know. You know, it's just like, (laughs) how in the world did... That's just so... It looks so real. And like he poked holes in the film to make it look like gunshots. Like, what in the world, dude? What the... Yeah, how do you think 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 of these things? He's... This is a deeply personal story for him, obviously. Um, Actually, his... I think I believe his mother requested that he not he's been mulling around making this movie for a while and his mother requested that he not make it until she died which you can see why kind of in her depiction in the film mm-hmm. um, I've been reading about Steven Spielberg just in his personal life and he's actually estranged from his father for about 15 years um, kind of during his 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 prime I, I believe it was like the 80s to the mid 90s where he was estranged from his father. And you can, this movie just really shows you how all Spielberg movies come out. Like the the through line of childlike wonder, which you can tell from him watching the train sequence in um, The Greatest Show on Earth and the theaters and then trying to recreate in his home and the broken families mm. that if you think of movies like E.T. and Jurassic Park um, and to some extent, you know, Indiana Jones, those films always contain broken families. Um, Normally the kids are with their mother too, uh, which is something that Spielberg related to as well. Hmm. It it is a family drama, right? So it's not going to blow you away. The cinematography, it's it's a Steven Spielberg movie. It looks beautiful. Come on. Tony Kushner helped write the script, so the script's really good. I think Williams was good for the last half of the movie the first half of the movie her performance didn't really work for me but once she starts doing the manic mom thing like full bore that that worked gabriel labelle who portrays uh teenage steven is really good yeah obviously not exactly it's the movie is the fablemans it's about this family that is steven spielberg's family but their last name Mm -hmm. is fablemans and paul dano who i just really like um it's nice to see paul dano in a role where he's not a serial killer um, or just a yeah. psychopath, which is yeah. rare for him for some reason, but I, I thought that was fun. So, Yeah, I thought it was really good in that. Um, yeah, you touched on all my pros in the movie. The performances, uh, camera work, and then director. Like, I'm going to pull up to a Steven Spielberg movie. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Really, my only con, I think, is just the length. Um, it's, again, two and a half hours. It's a long movie for a drama but I think he did a good job of keeping you in the movie for the most part. You know, I, I don't think I was ever like bored or for an extended amount of time, like ready to move on. Like I, he, he did a good job of keeping me involved. So yeah, really liked this one. Not to, this isn't like to, to really hit him hard with a critique or even give him a pass, but this movie is very like the magic of the movies, right? In that, you know, it, it's kind of kind of cheesy at points. Not even cheesy, but it's really like earnest, and it's you know, movies like art is love, movies are love, and they give you life, and they give you purpose. And yeah, do you think that if this was made by a, a lesser filmmaker, we'd be like, who gives a crap? Like, really, dude, we have to deal with this. But because it's Spielberg, we're kind of like, yes, yes, Stephen movies are magic they do make us like children and we just worship at their feet and they're amazing 100 percent. i think like if ridley scott made this movie we'd be like 
shut up, Ridley. <laughs> Just go make Gladiator 2. Yeah. But like with this, it's like we grow up we grew up watching Spielberg and we have that like childlike feeling and imagination of like I can like anything I put my mind to, I can do. Like we can do and I think this movie helps create that aspect of what he's really created you know, in movies for two decades, three decades now. So yeah, I think Steven Spielberg makes this movie. I'm not sure really any other director. Because even like a Paul Thomas Anderson, like you just don't get that vibe from his movies. So I think it'd be weird getting that vibe from his bio. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it just wouldn't be right. the same. Because it's not the same goal. I mean, there's obviously some outliers. Um, but the the most iconic, for the most part, the most iconic, with the exception of maybe Jaws and Schindler's List, the most iconic Spielberg movies are, you know, E.T., and Raider the, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Jurassic Park, these movies where there's always a shot where it's a person just looking up in awe at something, right? Close and Encounters of the Third Kind. Close <laughs> Encounters of the Third Kind is the same thing. You know, yeah. Spielberg is, is the best blockbuster filmmaker we've ever had. That's, there's no stretch. Mm -hmm. Yes, James Cameron makes more money, but Spielberg's, I think, will live on longer. You know, I'm way more likely to show my kids E.T. than I would be to show them Titanic in 15 years. Not to say that I'm not going to try to show them Titanic, but E.T. is going to be first on the list, right? Yeah. And his movies are yeah. more universal, I think, than almost any other major filmmaker. So, yeah, with Spielberg, we let him get away with it. And you know what? That's fine. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Next, um, another two. Gosh, the Oscar movies this year are long. Like, isn't all, is like one of them, only one of them is under two hours, I believe. I think Women Talking is the only movie that's not two hours long. Wow. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, movies are getting longer. Sorry. Uh, Tar. Well, I don't know, bro. I'm going through these best pictures in the 20s, that's 30s, and 40s. True. And it's like, oh, I'm so glad that, um, you know, I can't the remember the name of it now. Like three hours and 46 minutes long. It's like, oh my gosh. The English dude. patient is two hours and 46 minutes. The, why? It's going to be someone being sick for two hours and 30 minutes and then they get together in the last 15. And I'm, because David has decided that we have to watch all the best picture winners for some reason now dude. for an eventual podcast that we're going to record in four decades. I have to watch that. Come on. I don't want to watch that. But I have to. Yeah. Thanks, David. It's Lawrence, the Lawrence of Arabia is three hours and 46 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My Fair Lady is like three and a half hours. And that's yeah. a movie just about a lady who's pretty fair about stuff. So, Amen. And you've seen it. I looked on Letterboxd. You've seen that movie. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. Well, it's one of those growing up, we like in elementary school, like music class, we watched like a handful of these. <laughs> it took you nine class periods to watch My Fair Lady. Oh, now that I think about it, I'm like, how did we watch this? Like singing our, uh, the music man. I'm like, I know we watched that in elementary school. Like, how did my mom get through? Like, did she really just not teach for a month or something? Like, what's She's going on here? Right? Yeah. Okay. Speaking of music, great segue, David. Good job. You didn't even mm. do that on purpose. Speaking of music, oh. Tar, directed by Todd Field. The movie about a person who is simultaneously one of the coolest, most prestigious, most interesting people on the planet and also a loser dirtbag um, who's corny as hell. I like Tar even more when I watched it for a second time. This movie's two hours and 40 minutes, and it flies. I, Kate Blanchett is just 
magnetic. She just grips you and holds mm. you in place the whole time. David, I think your review after you saw this for the first time was you didn't realize that Lydia Tarr wasn't a real person because that's how lived in the part feels. Yeah, I absolutely um, thought this was about a real person. I, I just, I, this is my favorite movie of the year. Spoiler alert, this will be number one in my rankings. It's so funny. It's one of the funniest movies I've seen this year, which it shouldn't be, right? It's it's not, yeah. like, nothing about it seems like it's funny. It's a movie about a person who is a famous composer who ends up getting canceled for inappropriate behavior. Um, and you you see throughout the course of the film that she's actually just a just a bad person. And you're like, that's yeah. not, that, how is that funny? It's hilarious because yeah. she flirts like a 14-year-old. It's like, it's, it's a lot of this movie is just so unbelievably funny, especially when she gets unhinged at the end and starts banging on pots and pans. I, yeah, I love it. David Tarr, how do you, how do you feel? What do you, what are you thinking? I thought it was a real person. Uh, joke's on me. And I, you know how you like Google it and like there's a couple links that like talk about the movie. You're like, oh yeah, this was a real person. And you're like, wait, this is talking about the movie. Um, I loved it. I want to watch it again. And you saying you liked it better on rewatch uh, is encouraging. Um, I Pros for me, I, had, I wrote Kate, script, music. Cons, I wrote uh, dot, dot, dot. Like I, is there a, like trying to like emotionally step away from this is there a con in this movie um it's a little highfalutin uh in that a lot of the dialogue they're talking over your head with the music stuff which wasn't a problem for me because i i the movie doesn't need you to understand it you don't have to be an NPR listener and a regular attendee of the symphony to get what's going on. Mm -hmm. But that may be a turnoff for some people. I mm -hmm. like generally when movies talk in, in the like lingo and the niche dialogue of a, of a certain, you know, scope uh, of whether it be a job or, you know, um, athletic competition or whatever, where they're just talking in, in the ver verbiage that is commonly used in that area. I yeah. enjoy that. That's a turnoff for some people because it feels a little too inside baseball-y. So that, that could be a barrier for some, but for me, it was not. Yeah, I think I would agree. It, one, for what you said, but two, like understanding music enough, I, it wasn't ever an issue with me. Um, yeah, dude, I don't... And I, I'm curious, I want to watch it again because you mentioned like you caught stuff with a specific plot line in this movie. You noticed stuff that you didn't the first time. So now I'm like, oh, I'm really excited to watch this again to see if I can notice that. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I really don't know what else to say. Like Kate Blanchett will probably win best actress. Um, yeah. Probably. It's not set stone. Cause again, I, it, Michelle, you did a really just, good job. It's her and Michelle. Uh, yeah. I think Kate is, this is like, this won't be in you always think about you hear the obituary works which is like in the first line of your obituary what are they going to talk about uh, that you mm. did and Kate Blanchett's done so many things that it's hard to narrow down for me this would be an obituary work for her where Kate Blanchett um who portrayed Lydia Tarr in the film Tarr and Galadriel in the Lord of the Rings trilogy like that would be for me that would be her her um, first line of her obituary. Hmm. 
which is impressive because she's already won two Academy Awards. I think she should win a third here. I, I just I cannot imagine a person giving a better performance. This is, take out the gender qualifiers and categories. This is the best performance of the year. Full stop. Dude, I me. bet Will. I bet Will Smith could have done this. <laughs> I'm kidding. David I can't even imagine Will Smith in this, like directing a symphony. Like it just doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. Well, the part where Lydia tackles a guy on stage, he 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 do that well. Pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Although he made a movie about concussions, so he may not want to do that. No, he just he just hit him. Yeah. So slap him. him. Doesn't want to doesn't want to go to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, no acting involved in that one. No. No. Next. Uh, also, oh, also, before we move on to the next one, I've been saying you cannot start without me, um, just in my everyday life, all the time. Which, if you watch, I, this, I like you that. Understand? So, yeah. yeah. Next, Top Gun Maverick. David, do we even need to talk about this? We've had like three podcasts dedicated to this movie. Visually, it. mo- it's great. best visually Tom- movie I've seen all year. Only con is it's a little corny, but who cares? Get over yourself. It's a good movie. Tom Cruise <laughs> saved cinema per Steven Spielberg. That's what Steven Spielberg said. I'm gonna go with my guy Steve. I'm going to agree. Tom Cruise, great. Um, yeah, I don't. we don't need to dive into this anymore. Mama. We're almost at an hour at this podcast already. Yeah. Uh, next, Triangle of Sadness, directed by Ruben Osland. Uh, previously directed a, a, a well-known movie, Force Majeure, which a lot of people have seen. I saw actually some actors who got interviewed at Press Junkets recently listed Force Majeure as one of their favorite films of all time. So shout out Ruben Osland. He's getting a lot of praise there. This movie... Did not really work for me, David. How how about you? No, it didn't really work for me. I every once in a while you get a movie and you're like 20 minutes in and you're like, I don't understand what's happening. Like, what what am I supposed to get from this? You know what I mean? And I, I was like, we they had just yelled about money in the hotel room, and I'm like what am I supposed to get from this? You know, and I, I eventually got it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think we mentioned this off air. Like I get what they're doing and I, I understand like the message of this movie, but I think it was just too much for me. Like in every little aspect, they did a little too much. And it was just like, mm-hmm. even like, even the Instagram blogger, like taking pictures of everything. I was like, at one point I was like, okay, like even that was a little over the top for me. It. And, yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I visually it, it was, uh, it was really good, and you know, it was funny at times, and just the, the the snowball effect was kind of funny throughout the movie. How things just mm-hmm. continue. That once we got to that, like once we got to the 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 captain's dinner and on, I was like, okay, like the snowball is kind of funny, but I was like, ooh, part three is actually the longest part of the movie. I didn't know, you know. So yeah, eh. this this movie is essentially. Rich people suck and make society objectively worse because not only do they kind of suck, but they don't understand that they suck. And when they think they're doing things that are nice for people, in actuality, they're just ruining um, aspects of everyday life and then in turn destroying lives, which is pretty on the nose. Like this isn't like I didn't I didn't have to read into the subtext of the film. It's it's right there. There's just yeah. text. This is just text. This movie is yeah, once... three parts. The first two parts worked for me. The last the last part did not. I think mm-hmm. the last hour of this movie, I was 
I, I kept looking. I kept looking at the clock. I was mm-hmm. like, how much? It's like, no way we have another 40 minutes, right? We're almost done, right? Yeah. So I see kind of what they are doing of like, you aren't surrounded by your money. And now the lowest of the low knows actually how to survive and knows what to do. And now you're dependent on them to survive. Mm-hmm. And then, if, um, I mean, I, of course, now that, you know, there's the resort. And now she's like, I don't want to go in there because I'll just go back to the bottom of the totem. Yeah, so I kind of get what they life. were trying to say, but did it need to be, you know, 52 minutes long or, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Also just, just full, just putting this out there. This is just a personal taste thing. I don't like gross out humor. I never have. It's my least favorite kind of humor. Yeah. And I was burping. I was burping and feeling a little queasy. A lot of the comedy in this movie. Well, it, in one section of this movie, the entire like if you like that sequence it's all because you enjoy that type of humor which if you do that's great and the person who recommended this film to me is a person who i know for a fact loves loves that stuff thinks it's hilarious so he thought it was great i didn't so i i actually just skipped like i i knew what was gonna happen so i just skipped i watched like two or three it Guys, there's a sequence that goes on for like five and a half, six minutes. And it's everyone projectile vomits. Yeah, it's gross. It's disgusting. It's very disgusting. And I was just like, I'm not watching this. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not doing this. I'm just going to skip ahead the three minutes. I the know. The worst part for me was when the girl was throwing up and the boat tips and she like is skimming on the bathroom floor through her vomit as she's still puking. Yeah. That, I don't know yeah. if you saw that one. You might have skipped yeah, that. Yeah, I did. One. Yeah. Yeah. Saw that part. Yeah. Um, don't eat while you're watching this, I guess. So yeah, and that didn't work for me. Uh, so then, uh, then the rest of it just doesn't work. I, I think the conversation about money, oddly for me, was actually hilarious because it's kind of portraying them both as sucking because he's so like he's like it doesn't matter, but it does matter, but it doesn't matter. And then she's clearly like, "Well, I make more money, but it's not about that. Like I can pay for this, but I don't need to." Which is a very rich person attitude. Like mm-hmm. I can afford this, but I don't have to because he's, he's kind of like- not. He's not like he's supposed to almost be us, um, in a way, and that he's not rich. Like it's it's kind of clear that he's not rich. He's well mm-hmm. off, but he's not like on their level, and so he thinks everybody else sucks, kind of. But he then dips into he he follows their same tendencies. He doesn't even have the money, and yet he does the complaining about customer service on the boat, the complaining about the dumbest stuff. Mm-hmm. That everybody does. And also, I think, interestingly enough, the most hated person in this movie is the manager of the boat. Um, the one I hated the most, anyway. Because she's, like, bending over backwards to please these rich people whenever they're in a situation where it makes no sense for her to do that. She's, like, deferring to the people. With Even the on the islands. Yeah, when, when it makes no sense to. So... Mm. I thought that was, I thought that character was kind of funny in the way that you, she's just the one that you hate. I, I did think parts of this movie worked for me. I have it as also, a three out of five. But I, Woody Harrelson just making an appearance. I think that was kind of like yeah, just random up. and funny. Like okay, yeah, yeah. And then Woody Harrelson's been making a lot of appearances right now by going on rants about being against the vaccine. Which aren't we past that? Have we? Have we not Where, reached the? Does he have Twitter or something, or is it like random? No, news he outlets? did it SNL. He did it on SNL. He hosted SNL and then did a like a monologue on SNL about the COVID crackdown and or like Woody, like shut up, like, come on, I don't. Which it's not a surprise if you know anything about Woody Harrelson's personal politics or just the guy whose name is Woody Harrelson. Um, hey man, it has shot. a nice ring to it, but it's just like why? And then I think today another actress or tall creepy guy who's always in movies that you you hate. 
when you don't hate. You just think he's tall and creepy. Why can I not think of his name? What movie is he in? Uh, Shawshank Redemption. Andy Dufresne. Oh, Tim Robbins? Tim Robbins was like, yeah, Woody. Like, all right. Anyway, um, Triangle of Sadness doesn't work for me. may work for other people. Um, It's not going to win Best Picture. It doesn't really have a snowball's chance. So there's not really a lot of fear with that. Ruben Ostland, um, I think he's been nominated for Best Director as well. I don't think he's going to win that either. Um, It was fine. I, I, I mean... I think also it hurt that I knew this was a, you know, best picture nominee. And I think I put it under more scrutiny knowing that ahead of time, had I had mm. seen this before it got nominated for best picture, maybe I would have liked it more, but I was waiting for like, ah, I'm going to get hit with something like this is going to be great. Just never felt that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, lastly, a movie that did hit me very like brutally, uh, women talking the, most minimalist film on this list, I think by a long shot, directed by Sarah Polly, and it is a movie about women talking. They're not lying with the title. Yeah, uh, they, don't hide, a, they don't hide their anything, you know? Set in a kind of imagined Mennonite colony that we later find out actually is in the 21st century. Um, it's about a group of women who have to decide what they're going to do in response to the continued um, rapes and sexual assault perpetrated by men of the colony who have been tranquilizing the women and then climbing into their beds and assaulting them at night. Um, the women have three choices. They can either stay and forgive the men, um, and probably nothing will ever change, stay and fight against the men, or leave the colony altogether. And the first option gets thrown out pretty quickly, um, and then it's really just the last two. Yeah. Uh, yeah this I looked- is the most important movie nominated for Best Picture. I looked this up, and uh, IMDb has some trivia. Uh, this is based on a true story uh, in Bolivia yes. in, from 2005 to 2009 where this happened um, pretty loosely, but for the, the, the main points, like the women co- were... Rape was happening in colony. Count tranquilizers was being used. This was happening. They decided to leave. Like those, The main points of the plot, like this was all uh, legitimately happened... And so that's what that is based off of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said this was the most important film because I think it's tackling the most important issue um, and doing so in a way that has a lot of depth um, and a lot to say to a lot of different people. Um, oh, one of my friends who watched this movie said women talking and men need to listen, um, which I think is very, very apt. Uh, this movie is also a lot about faith. Um, obviously it's, it's set in kind of a Mennonite-esque colony. So religion, um, is very important to them. One of the reasons that they're worried about leaving, um, is that they are told that if they leave, then they the elders, won't, the elders kind of control the gate into heaven essentially. And if they leave, they're going to be disobeying God and the elders will not let them into heaven. Um, but the movie never... And the way that a lot of a lot of films would, the, the movie never really satirizes the woman's faith or mocks them for it. Actually, takes it very seriously, um, and you know, it, it it doesn't seek to kind of mock this important part because the obvious answer is just there. The men are lying to you about you know the being the gatekeepers of heaven, and you should mm-hmm. just leave because they don't have any power over you. Yeah, but it's clear that the movie is trying to understand like 
yeah, you could say that as an outsider, but for these women, that is not a reality and that is not an option. So they need to do something else. Um, Rooney Mara, Claire Forey, Jesse Buckley, uh, three just very powerful performances. Frances McDormand is listed at the top bill of this film, but she is only in the movie for like maybe seven minutes. Yeah, um, she's not she's not in much. She's not in that much. She was very big behind the scenes of this movie producing it. I I I I cried three times while watching this. It, mm. It's 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 a really difficult movie. Um, it it shows how difficult it is to be a survivor. Um, the kind of the different aspects. Uh, Jesse Buckley's character, Claire Foy's character, and Rooney Mara's character all have different ways of dealing with what has happened to them, um, and, and different options and different responses. Um, and I think the worst part is the well, not the worst part. the The most harrowing part is the children um, who just have to accept this and don't really like accept is the wrong word there, but the children that just have to come to grips with what's happening and talk about it um, and discuss it openly is this is a reality for them too. Um, is it's a very harrowing film. This is a harrowing film, but it's an important one. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I really didn't set myself up for success. I started my day off with prisoners, Denis Villeneuve, and then I went right to this one. And it was just a it was a heavy day of movies. Um yeah. And I honestly I think you mentioned this. I let me let me go to your review. Yeah, like I think this is un, I'm sure this is underseen. Um and it probably will be. You can even notice like the highest rate is a four star and it's 21,000, like 21,000 people, you know, compared to like, you have like 600,000 on everything everywhere. Like, you know, it's just going to be a lot more underwatched than probably any other of these uh, best picture noms. Um, so that's, I don't know if it's telling, maybe it is. I think it's just, I, I didn't even know about this until it was nominated. And then we had the discussion about the nominations, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing this movie does is doesn't show you the men at all. Doesn't seek to, to really, with the exception of Ben Wishaw, who is the only, only man that is in this movie who speaks um, because he is the, the teacher who is taking notes of the meeting. He's the only one who is able to write. Um, the women cannot write. They can't read. They are not allowed to go to school. And he's um, so previously he's, excommunicated as well. Yeah, and he was kicked out because well, his mother previously spoke up against what was happening and, and sought to change what was going on in the colony, and he was kicked out because of that. Um, and he's the boy's teacher. So, uh, But he's the, only, he's the only man that speaks. He's the only man that we really interact with at all. The rest of them are kind of just this faceless mask. Um, and I think that's, that's a interesting and... I think very careful and considered decision um, and that these men and their actions are not in any way human in, in the fact that humans, you know, are supposed to be decent and good and are born that way, which this movie says that all, all humans are born good. Um, none of them are born wanting to do this. So, but this movie is like, you're, you can't humanize these men because they're not, 
they're monsters, mm. they're animals. There's no mm. way to humanize them because they aren't. And then we're just not going to try to. I think that was really important and very effective. Um, and I enjoyed that aspect. I enjoyed that there wasn't a debate between the men, that the men didn't get to tell their side because there's no side. They don't have a side. Yeah, this... I, I don't know what... Yeah, I don't know if there's much defending on that side because it's pretty... Bro, you're using... It's, it's kind uh, of yeah, dry. I don't want to... I don't want to talk either, about it because it's kind of hard to even to talk about. You're what either happens, a rapist but... or you are supporting the rapist because in this movie, yeah. all of the men of the colony go to town to bail out the rapists, yeah. bail them out of prison. Um, yeah. And the reason that they are in prison is because Claire Foy's character um, almost kills one just out of rage, which we can all understand. <laughs> um, mm-hmm because she catches a rapist in her daughter's bed and then gets identified and then she almost kills him. So they have yeah. to send them to the other town for their protection. Um, movie's very tense a- at points. There's not, there's not an action set piece. There's not anything. This is a dialogue driven movie. It's talking, but mm-hmm. I think it's one of the most effective. It quickly shot up my rankings um, for just 2022 films that it's in my top 10 um, and it'll stay there. Very powerful. Yeah. Another slow burn. So if again, if that's a, not a movie, not something you're interested in, that that's what this is. Also, again, what we talked about, it's heavy, heavy, heavy. So I would say be in the right mood. Um, this isn't a family film. Don't just pull up with your fam and be like, let's watch women talking. I guess maybe if actually, I, mean, I guess it. But a I counter. Mean, I mean, maybe for maybe, not little little kids, but if your kids are old enough to understand what's going on in this movie, I show. I think they should show this fair. in churches. That's what I think. We do this like they should show this movie. They do in quote scripture. Um, I think they should show it in churches because I think it's, I think it's an important um, showcase of how how cruel um, and inhuman uh, men specifically can warp, um, you know, faith to, to manipulate for and... their own personal gain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, one, we don't have to take too long on this. The only thing I thought was interesting, I thought the saturation aspect of it was interesting. That I, I, I'm still deciding if, if I liked that or not. Like, I, I see they're trying to, I mean, it really did set the mood almost. So maybe if I understood that, then maybe it did what they wanted to. But it, it was almost black and white, but it wasn't. How did you feel about that? For me, I, I took that as, and I don't know if that's what the filmmaker intended, but I took it as like, even though there is a, decision that could be made um that will help them there's no bright and cheeriness in this movie even the Mm. the ones the the scenes of the children playing um which happened a couple of times you get the dialogue heavy scenes get interrupted with shots of children running around the fields playing and you're kind of supposed to see their innocence but the the saturation of it even that doesn't look beautiful like it, it looks it looks great the imagery is is really powerful but it's mm-hmm. not like happy and cheery um it's not yeah. joyful i think that's gotcha. what i what i took from it that's what how i felt uh the the comparison i've seen a lot of people make and i think it i think it's apt is this is a lot like 12 angry men um and that it's a conversation mm-hmm. where some people start one way and then have to work to try to convince everybody else in the conversation to get to that point of view um and it takes a mm-hmm. while and there's like really just one one holdout, um, Jesse Buckley's character is kind of the last holdout. Um, and it mirrors that a lot. And 12 yeah. Angry Men is great. And so is this. I saw a review. Someone said 12 Angry Women in the review of, of this. I'm like, I mean. It's very apt. They could have called yeah. it that if they wanted to. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, 
very powerful, very good. Uh, again, underseen, you have to rent this right now. That's not available. Yeah. Uh, just on a streaming service, you got to pay for it. But it, important, very important movie. Uh, and when I, I enjoyed is the wrong word. When I felt emotionally, I think this is probably this along with one other movie that's not nominated for best picture were the ones that were most emotionally resonant for me this year. Mm-hmm. So, um, all right. We've talked about every single one. We're an hour and 15 into this podcast. <laughs> we're not going to get to the rest of the Oscar stuff. Sorry, David, let's, let's rank them. Um, quick, I have a quick question. Yes. Is this, um, top 10 ranking based on, okay, here is t- 10 to one. I think most likely to win best picture or is it 10 to one? My favorite movies uh, in the best picture. Personal race? preference, personal okay. preference. Um, and okay. then we'll, we'll do a mini, like try to see which ones we'll just, why don't we just do a top three, what we think the top three movies are going to be, what's going to win and what we think we'll finish second and third. Although I don't even know if we'll find that out. Okay. All right. All right, David, what's your number 10? 10 for me is triangle of sadness. Um, we kind of, we already talked about it. It just, uh, Elvis hit more for me than this did. So it's really between these two. What's not, what's nine and 10. I think both of us have the same two movies and mm-hmm. nine and 10, but for me, triangle of sadness is the last spot. Mm-hmm. I will have Elvis at 10. I'm in triangle of sadness at nine. Um, Elvis for the innumerable reasons that I listed, um, beforehand. Um, and I just, this movie just feels out of place for me. Um, and then triangle of sadness for, we, we already talked about that as well. So, all right. And you have, I'm assuming Elvis at nine then Elvis at nine. Yep. Okay. Enjoyed it. But man, I mean, even the, the rest of these eight movies, I think are, we're all solid this year. It's not going to be this easy is, to rank. This these. is a really, really good year. Um, I feel like so what's your eight. And actually I'm going to make it a, a last second switch. Uh, Fableman's will be eight for me, which it almost sounds like, it's just weird to me that it's that low, but all the that, movies are so that feels good. Mean. I would say personally, I don't. Know, I think this applies to you too. Everything else is a four out of five or above, right? Absolutely, yeah. On your list, uh-huh. okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Same. So for it's me. like it's not like it's bad. It's just there's all so many good ones, you know. Yeah, I think. Hmm. This is tough. I'm getting into, I think these next three are the ones that are closest together in terms of where they're at on the list. Um, so I, I need to think a little bit because I actually already made a list, but I'm thinking about switching it. Uh, and that's what I did. That's why I said last second change because I, I, I think I'm going to agree with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put Fableman's eight as well. Um, all right, David, seven. Um, and seven for me, this this is what bumped up. I think it's women talking. We just talked about it. I think eight, I, I saw it at eight. I'm like, I just, with what you mentioned, like the most important movie in this top 10 list, I'm like, I just don't know if I can justify putting it at eight and maybe even seven might be, you know, might be even too low. But that's why mm-hmm. I bumped that up of like, you know, it. I don't know if there's a more important movie, you know, of these 10. So for me, seven, uh, I, I have women talking. Seven for me is going to be, um, I'm going to make a switch here from what my list is. I'm going to go all quiet on the Western front. That will be seven for me. I enjoyed it. Um, really enjoyed it off the outset, but the more I thought about it, the kind of lower the movie went, which isn't to say that this movie is now like at the 
the dregs of my list. It's still, you know, above some others and I still greatly enjoyed it, but just more I'm thinking about it, the the more I need to switch that around. So, mm-hmm. all right, David, what do you have at six? Hmm. I have a list too, but now I'm thinking about it. Like it's close. Wanna... These, this, these, it's tight. It's really close. I think just what I talked about. Yeah. I'm, I think uh, you said six, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Six for me, I'm going to put way of the water. Avatar way of the water is going to be six for me. Uh, I will also be putting that at six. Um, Liked it. Just think that the other ones above it are just, just better. Um, so yeah. All right. Five. Five. Let's see. Five is Banshees. Banshees of Anishirin. Um, at number five, for me. You wait. Do you really? Do you have this? Yeah, I also will be putting this at, at five. We did this last year, too, if I remember correctly, whenever we were ranking them, which is like one of the first episodes we ever did. All right. So we both have the Banshees of Inishirin at five. Uh, four, David. Four for me, All Quiet. That, that movie really hit for me. Um, I've really thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, and, yeah, I feel good about that one. So give me All Quiet. Four for me, which was five, um, but now that I'm thinking about it, I need to bump it up, is Women Talking. Um, I was thinking, like, yeah, both these movies, it, both Banshees and Women were very um, very emotional watches for me. Uh, Women Talking made me cry three times and is one that I think I thought about more afterwards, um, just in the aftermath of it, and I've continued to think about since I watched it. Not to say that Banshees I didn't, but it didn't as much. Um, so I will be going with Women Talking at four. David, we are now top three. Uh, would you Would you like to go in you know, the same order we've been going in. Do you want to like, just, just switch it up a little bit or. I'm done just to keep it going. Okay. What's your three then? No, don't overthink. Top Gun Maverick. Nice. I like how I have it. And I was like, should I change it? I'm like, you know, we're going to have the same top three. Cause Top Gun Maverick is three for me too. And Uh, then what's your number two? Let's just do our number ones. Let's okay. say it on, on the count of three. Okay. One, two, three. Tar. tar. Yep. Yep. Let's go. Okay. So everything, everywhere, all, all at once. I'm not typing all that out. I just typed everything. everything. <laughs> yeah. Everything um, is two. And then tar is one for both of us. David, why does tar get the nod over everything, everywhere, all at once for you? Kate Blanchett. I was just gonna say, thank golly. I mean, we're just in sync right now. We're also, Justin I just love Timberlake music. Boy band. This is insane. Come on. I just love music. So just also hearing that too on my ass side of things is like, I, I just sounds really cool. Really like it. And, that, and Bro, I started listening to Leonard Bernstein after this movie came out. And I was like, who's this person? So it was effective. So much. Yeah. It was yeah, effective. Absolutely. Um, everything, everywhere, all at once. It's it's right there. It it is. It really is. I mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that film. I also cried when I watched that too. I cried a lot. At a lot of movies this year. Maybe I'm just. I even I'm think Top Gun for me is like now. right there in those two. Yeah, Top Gun's not far for three. Um, Top Gun is 
still probably the most fun I had watching a movie this year. Yeah. Um, I saw it in theaters three times, like obviously, right? There's no way. Come on. Um, And I've seen it four total times since its release. And it's only been, it's been out less than a year. Yeah. (laughs) So, sheesh. Most watched Uh, movie of last year, probably. Yeah. Oh, easily. Um, The only, I I think it's, it is second um, on my most logged on Letterboxd, I think, or tied for first with, can you guess the movie I've seen the most since I Mad got Mad Max Box? Fury Road? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that movie's so good, dude. You guys ever seen that? It's fun. It's just a car chase. Nathan, they hours. can't respond. Why did you ask it's that question? So <laughs> yeah. Well, if you haven't seen it, watch it. Because if, if you haven't seen that movie, you're a loser. I, I feel very comfortable saying that. I would tell my grandmother she's a loser for not having seen it, which I know she hasn't because she hasn't would watched the movie since would you like, say that the to Great Escape came out. Yeah, absolutely. No shame. No shame in my game. There's no shame if you have So seen one, two, three, five, six, and eight were all the same for us, and then nine and ten were switched. Yeah. And I had women talking higher than you did. You had four and seven, seven and for us. We just yep. that's the only one that was different. That's yep. Was, that's I mean, the only one that there's a significant difference in yeah. in how we feel about them. So um, And I think partially I'm like biased in that like I mean, obviously I just enjoyed the other movies more because Women yeah, talking that's is not, not an enjoyable movie. Yeah, it's fun. No, no, no. There, and there's no problem with that. And I think I'm, I think, despite you watching a lot of downer movies, I think I'm more predisposed to enjoying, you know, a movie that really kind of strips you raw emotionally than you are. Mm-hmm. I think I think that I probably lean more towards that than you do. Yeah, I would um, agree. So that's that's probably why that movie is uh, higher up on the list. All right, who do you think is going to actually win Best Picture? Dude, I don't. I get this weird vibe that Banshees is gonna win it. Mm. Hmm. Mm. I don't know. I don't know why, dude. I just. I think it's everything, everywhere, all at once. It's kind of been sweeping the last couple of awards circuits. Yeah. Um, it's getting a lot of buzz. It's a lot of traction. It feels like that's gonna be the feel good. Like this movie's gonna win a bunch of Oscars, and then at the end of the night, it's gonna get the crowning achievement. And I'm gonna be happy with it. You know, yeah. I Tar's not winning. Like I know Tar's not winning. I really think it's between Banshees, everything, everywhere, all at once. And then also like outside chance. Well, maybe not outside Fablements as well. Mm. Um, I think of those three, everything, everywhere, all at once is by far the most deserving. And I think will be the one that will be looked back on mm. the best as well. We talked about last year, right? When Coda won, it's kind of, it's great. Like we, we both liked Coda. But then when we got a little further out, you're thinking, like, really? Like, who's even seen that? Has anybody gone back to revisit Coda? And we mm-hmm. thought Dune should have won. I think everything, everywhere, all at once is going to be, like, we'll look back and be like, yeah, that deserved it. Other yeah. than that, you know, Top Gun Maverick and Avatar The Way of Water, I would say, are the only other movies on this list where people are going to revisit those more than this one, than everything, everywhere, all at once. Those are the only ones that are going to be more watched I think. Um, and that's just because, I mean, those are, those are block like general, just Hollywood blockbusters. Both of them are sequels. So yeah, they have a yeah. lot more with them. All right. Last thing before, before we leave, we already talked about most upset with it. Obviously for you, it'd be triangle of sadness for me. It would be Elvis. So last thing, if you could replace one nominee, which nominee would that be? And what would you replace it with? Mm. Um, I'm pulling up, you know, pulling up Old Faithful. Let's get this letterboxed out. Movies I watched in 23. 
Um, I think, well, what the one I'd replace it with, I think it's probably who I would be, you know, most upset with. I think I'd replace triangle of sadness. Mm-hmm. Um, just, yeah, I, I wasn't, I wasn't very hyped. Didn't on do it. it for you. Didn't no. do it for you. Um, if you have yours, go ahead and go. I'm trying to get to this. Um, desktop letterbox is kind of a little slow right now. So I will be, I will be replacing Elvis. Um, because I think Elvis is dog water, quite frankly. I think it's bad. <laughs> I think it's a bad film. I don't think it deserves to be there at all. You were quite honest there. I and I'm not just going to go based on personal favorite, although that would make sense. Um, I think it's just kind of baffling that this filmmaker didn't even get recognized. Jordan Peele's Nope. That's what I'm going to slot in, mm. is the 10th Best Picture nominee. There are other movies I liked more. Cha Cha Real Smooth, Babylon, um, RRR even. But I think nope, it's just like this needs to be there. It's horror, so it's not getting recognized again. We he got recognized for Get Out, but he, I, I just think he's doing so much in nope, and nope is so smart that I, I really think it should be there. So that's what I would put up. Yeah, I think so. I, I mentioned I, I'd replace Triangle of Sadness, um, and then what I'd replace it with. Bomb. Bum, 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 I mean, bum, bum. you want to? That's just not do the it. Cor- that's not the like politically correct answer. Like it's a Batman movie, but like, dude, people forget like how sweeping of a movie this was when it came out. Like the first month, like I mean, everybody that- was talking about this. If that movie comes out in October, it's a Best Picture nominee. I really, I it came out last March. If I remember correctly, it came out before the Oscars last year. Like, I'm pretty sure it came out and, like, two weeks later, the Oscars happened last year. So, it's, we're already over, we're a year out from that movie coming out, like, a full year out. I think if that movie comes out in October, it gets nominated. It's great. I I really enjoyed the Batman. Well, I mean, this was, when we talked about the Batman, it's our most listened to podcast to this date. Like, like, and it's just, I, I believe it is the fastest to, like, a million logs on Letterboxd. Uh, yeah, because oh, it has 1.7 million logs in a year, which is nuts. That sounds really familiar. I think that's so, right. Also, yeah. Colin Farrell's probably getting, he's probably going to get the um, rubber band, double, whatever you want to call it, um, the handcuff. He's he's probably getting a Best Supporting nomination, I think, for The Penguin, which was the most fun part of that movie easily. Mm-hmm. I mean, that come on, what are you showing me? Yeah. It was great. I loved it. Yeah. So, no, I agree. And so, wait, he is already. Has that ever happened? Oh wait, no, he's he he is like uh, if he was a supporting role in two different movies, has anybody ever been nominated the same person in the same award for a different movie? Does, you know, does it make sense? Like, because that'd be insane. Well, it wouldn't be for the same award because he's being nominated for Best Actor. Um, but like, if he was a leading actor in two different movies, could he be nominated? The only for both time of that's those? ever happened. Um, yes, it, two actors were nominated in two categories each in a single year. Holly Hunter was nominated for The Piano and The Firm, and um, wait, who's Will the Smith? One? It's just listing Holly Hunter. No, stop it. <laughs> Emma Thompson was nominated for The Remains mm. of the Day and In the Name of the Father as well. So in the same Bro, year, what a year. two women 
got nominated for Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress. However, also just, and this is still a problem, they didn't write a whole lot of great parts for women and there wasn't a lot of, you know, activity circling around of who was getting nominated. So a lot of these parts were going to the same women and then they were getting nominated for those Meryl Street parts. So yeah, well, yeah, if you look <laughs> back, everybody's like Meryl Street, you know, the untouchable. And you look back at some of the movies she was nominated for, you're like, what? Uh, are we sure? Really? Yeah. The Iron Lady, anybody? <laughs> Come on. Nobody's, yeah. when's the last time you heard someone have a conversation about Meryl Streep really killing it as Margaret Thatcher, who really liked to kill Irish prisoners? I mean, whatever exactly. floats your boat. That doesn't float my boat. Does murdering prisoners float your boat? I didn't say it floated mine. I said whatever floats your okay. boat. Uh, it floated Margaret Thatcher's. Um, yeah, it did. So there's that. that I don't like Margaret Thatcher. Story. I just have opinions, and that's one of them. Yes. Yeah. Margaret. Yeah. It's just a weird name too, all right? Yeah. Yeah. If your name's Peggy. Margaret, I apologize. How do we get how do we get Peggy from Margaret? Is that a how does that I happen? I don't know. There are so many of these. It's like that doesn't make sense, bro. Why William, Bill, yeah. Richard Dick. Like yeah, you, someone was just being mean, right? Yeah, you just want to say Dick. Like <laughs> how does that how's that transition from Richard? Yeah, I mean, I think somebody somebody was named Richard and someone called them Dick and they were like about to get real mad about it. And he's like, Oh, whoa, whoa. That's the shortened version of your name. Did you not know that? And then yeah. he just kept it rolling. That's something I would say. That guy like, avoid that getting punched. Else. Yeah. Avoid getting punched. Try to say that. Like, you didn't like, know whoa, that. Whoa. That's... that's the shortened version of your name. Jeez. Yeah. So, getting so defensive. Getting so hot and heavy, my friend. Come on, Zach. Chill, bro. You know? <laughs> Why, Zach? <laughs> I don't know. All right. I think we're, I think we're done. We're, we're talking about the shortening of common first name so we're probably we're probably done with this podcast yeah probably this is probably one of i mean in recent memory one of the better years like we just talked about how did they really need to expand it to 10 movies but like seven of the 10 movies are like solid movies this year like in a lot of years it's like four or five are like good but like this year it's like no seven of the 10 are, are solid movies probably not all seven have a chance of winning but like i could Honestly, this year I could see up to five. Like, like it, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just been a good year of movies, really. Anything else? Um, hopefully, nobody gets slapped. Okay, but you know ratings go up when that happens. That's true. Who's the host? I don't even remember. Is it Jimmy Kimmel? That sounds right. Yeah, that doesn't seem like that's going to be fun. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I don't really like that. He's so funny though. You not watch his late night show? No. I don't know what watching. I don't know what night it's on, but it's funny. Every night. That's how late night television works. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. And on that note, actually pretty good transition here. Um, this has been episode seventy eight of What Do You Want to Watch? The best picture rankings and our Oscar preview. Um, next Sunday, March twelfth, Oscars are on. Tune in. We'll be watching. Um, 7 p.m. Yeah. ABC. Yeah. Yep. It's been fun. You have been listening to it. We've been talking about it. We'll see you later. Bye.